21 days of prayer for revival in Queensland. My name is Jason Ellsmore and I am the director of the Queensland Baptist Movement. And I want to thank you again for being part of this 21 days of prayer. And thank you for the privilege of being able to open the word of God with you today. You know, I uh, love reading the stories of the early church. As the early church begin to pray the way that Jesus taught them to pray, you know, the word of God continued to spread further and further afield and the church began to flourish and thrive. And in Acts chapter 12, as we see the church praying and the word of God spreading and the kingdom of God breaking in to this broken world and the church flourishing, King Herod was not happy. King Herod Agrippa was not happy with uh, the church praying in such power and seeing the word of God spread. And so he decides to do whatever he can to actually stop the good news of Jesus Christ spreading and to stop the church flourishing throughout his little region where he had power. Let's, uh, let's read Acts chapter 12. Really encourage you to open your Bibles today. Uh, we're going to read just kind of verse by verse through Acts chapter 12 together. It says this, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. This is devastating for the church. King Herod, he he actually liked to exert his power and to keep the peace of Rome by oppressing any minority that came along, anyone that got in his road. And this is what he's doing with the church. You know, he's, he's locking up, you know, some of the congregation. And then in a devastating blow, he actually beheads James one of the leaders of the church. You know, I'd like to think that in this situation, I'd continue to stick my hand up as the leader of the church and to preach the gospel. But this is a terrifying situation. And I wonder if I'd be happy to actually hand the mic to someone else to uh, preach next week if this was happening in our time. Let me just read a couple more verses. Verse 3, it says, When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, what Luke is doing here in these verses is actually contrasting the, the power of Herod with the power of this little group called the church. It says that King Herod kept Peter in prison. Yeah, and everyone knew what was going to happen next. Everybody knew that, that what happened to James was going to happen to Peter at the end of Passover. And to make sure that nothing thwarted Herod's plan, he had 16 soldiers on rotation, you know, keeping Peter in prison, making sure that he couldn't escape 
This is the power of Herod. He's using the power of his military force. He's using his political power to keep Peter in prison. And Luke is contrasting this, the, the power of Herod with the power of this little group called the church. And this little group called the church has no military power. They have no political power. They have no sway. They are a minority. The only power that they have at their disposal is to pray. All they can do is pray, and Luke says that they are earnestly praying. It's actually the same Greek word that, uh, that Luke uses to describe the way that Jesus is praying in Gethsemane. We talked about that last week. You know, as Jesus is praying, there's, there's drops of blood, you know, coming from his forehead as he cries out to, to God in prayer. He's praying earnestly. He's praying fervently. He's praying unremittingly. You know, Luke is, is saying that this church, they are praying passionately. You see, there's, there's earnest prayers and then there's the prayers that you pray when you need a parking spot at the shops. Or there's the prayers that you pray when someone in your small group asks you to pray for their cat who, to, to pull through a hernia operation. I'm not a big fan of cats. You know, I'm not praying earnestly for a cat. You see, there's prayers that you pray for pets with problems and then there's the kind of prayers that you pray when your pastor is in prison and he's about to be beheaded. Now, even if you're a cat lover and you're completely offended right now, I, I, I hope that if I was in prison or your pastor was in prison, that you would pray earnestly. I want to ask you today, what, what are you praying earnestly for? What are you praying with the same kind of passion and fervency? What are you praying so earnestly for that looks the same as the way Jesus prayed in Gethsemane? What are you praying earnestly for in this season? You see, prayer is personal. Prayer is, is praise. And prayer is also intercession. Intercession is, is praying on behalf of someone else in need or someone who is suffering and asking God to intervene in that situation in power. And so here they are. They are interceding for Peter and they are praying earnestly. And to pray earnestly, you know, there's two things that, that need to happen. Firstly, you've got to care about the person or the people that you're praying for. And the other thing that's got to happen is you've got to believe that God really cares about the person or the people that you are praying for. If you are indifferent to their need or, or you believe that God is indifferent to their need, you will not pray earnestly. You won't pray earnestly for the people in your church if you don't really care, you don't really believe that God cares. And you won't pray earnestly for the people outside the church, the people who are lost, the people who are heading to a Christless eternity. If you don't care that they're heading to a Christless eternity and if you don't think that God cares that they're heading to any Christless eternity. 
You see, prayer in the early church, as we read through the book of Acts, it was just the normal atmosphere of the church. In every circumstance, in every situation, they just prayed. And I'd say today, if our church, if the churches that we're a part of are not, you know, praying fervently and earnestly and passionately and crying out for one another and crying out uh, for the lost in prayer, then, then maybe we're actually putting our hope and our trust and our faith in something or someone else altogether. What are you earnestly praying for? Let me read a couple more verses. It says in uh, verse 6, The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and your sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. These verses make me laugh. I don't know about you, but if I was locked up in prison between two ugly armed guards and there were other sentries standing at the door, I wouldn't be sleeping naked. But apparently Peter is. He's at such peace with God. He's laying there either naked or simply in his undergarments. And the first message that he hears from the angel of all the important things he needs to hear is get dressed. Get dressed. Imagine an angel turning up and the first thing they say to you is get dressed. But what Luke is doing here is painting a really vivid picture for us. He's making it clear that Peter has absolutely no power to escape from prison. He is completely unarmed. In fact, he's even undressed. And he's chained up next to two soldiers with two chains. And and normally, you know, uh, prisoners would just be locked up with one chain and one soldier. But, you know, Herod's getting insecure. You know, he's, he's insecure about his own power. He's heard about the way Peter's escaped from prison before. And he's doing everything within his power to make sure that it never happens again. And Luke also wants us to understand in those verses that uh, Peter's actually been there now for some days. And it's now just the night before they believe he's about to be executed. Have you ever noticed that sometimes God leaves prayer unanswered until the 11th hour? You know, when we're interceding for people in a situation, for people who are suffering, we'd really like God to do zap prayers. We live in an instantaneous culture. We want what we ask for now. We want to pray now and get the answer now. That's not what God is inviting us into in prayer. God's actually calling us into a relationship and a dependent relationship, a a relationship and a walk with God where we walk with him every day through every situation and every circumstance. And we listen to his voice and we hear from his word about what he's saying to us in any situation. And he teaches us to pray. He shows us how to pray. 
And I wonder whether some of us have actually had a prayer that we were once praying earnestly for, but we gave up too soon because it didn't happen immediately. You know, God wants us to pray earnestly. But in, in this passage and in other passages like Luke chapter 18, when Jesus teaches a parable and he says, I'm teaching you this parable so that you'll pray and not give up. You know, when I, when I will come again, I actually want to see people still praying and still believing, still having faith in their hearts. See, Jesus calls us to pray earnestly, but he also tells us to pray endlessly, to persevere in prayer and not to give up. And maybe there's a prayer that you've given up on too soon. And right now, God's just reminding you to keep praying, to persevere in prayer until you see it happen. Let me read verse 9. It says, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. How awesome is this? Peter's in prison, he's about to die, and he's sleeping, completely at peace with God. And he can't even work out if this is a dream that he's having or if it's real. Do you ever have dreams like that? You know, sometimes you wake up from your dream and you can't work out if it's real or not. And sometimes you, you, you wake up and you're really glad that it's not real and it was just a dream because you had a dream that you turned up to work in nothing but your undergarments and no angel turned up to wake you up and tell you to get dressed before you went to work and you're really glad it was just a dream. Or sometimes you uh, have a dream and you wake up and you're really disappointed that it was just a dream in your dream. You just hit a six to win the ashes back for Australia. Or in your dream, your wife bought you a Porsche because you've been such a good husband. And you wake up, you get dressed, you run downstairs to your garage and you find that you actually haven't been a very good husband because you've still got a Camry and not a Porsche. And it was just a dream. You know, this is what's happening for Peter. He, he's kind of looking at all that is happening and he's saying, am I dreaming? You know, Peter's saying, could God really be this good? Could God really be this powerful? You know, would he really be so good that he would intervene in, in such a way like this just for me? Let's just read a bit more of the passage. It says this. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them all by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Now he knows without a doubt. The jail cell miraculously lit up without electricity. An angel wakes him and tells him to get dressed. His chains fall off. The gates miraculously open and no one stops him as he walks out of prison as a free man. He's walking free. And now he knows without a doubt that God really is this good. You know, many years ago now, Charles Wesley wrote a famous hymn 
about his uh, just wonder at how amazing God's love is, how good he is when he got converted. And he based a lot of it on this passage in Acts chapter 12, and it's still sung all over the world today, hundreds of years later, as it says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? And can it be that God really is this good? That he would die on a cross to set me free from the power of sin and death? The chains have fallen off. It cost him his life. Can it be that God would do that for you and for me? I wonder if some of us in this season of prayer, these 21 days of prayer that we're in, what we actually need is a revelation of the goodness of God in our lives. Our God is a good God. He's a God who listens to our prayers. He graciously gave us his son, it says in Romans 8. Would he not graciously give us all things? He's a God who loves to hear our prayers. He's a good God who loves to set people free from the power of sin and death. He loves to break into this broken world with his healing power. He's a good king. He wants good things for his people. And Peter was surprised by the answer, you know, to their earnest prayers. But listen to the response of the people who were earnestly praying. Let's just read verses 12 to 15. It says, When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhonda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When they kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. Now let's just remember this story so far. What are they praying for? For Peter to be released from prison. How are they praying? Earnestly. What happens when the answer to their prayer knocks at the door? They say, you're out of your mind. They're completely astonished. Now, do you see yourself in this story a little bit? Sometimes I do. Now, sometimes we're praying because we believe it's the right thing to do, but we're actually anticipating the worst. I just wonder if God is calling us again to pray with expectation and faith, to pray expectantly. I love this story because of the different people who are praying in this story. Firstly, there's Mary. Mary's a wealthy woman. She's got a Jewish heritage. She's known the word of God throughout her life. She's got a big house with an outer entrance. Some people have said this is actually the the home of the upper room where they were praying uh, before Pentecost. We're not sure about that. But what we do know is Mary is a, a wealthy woman with a godly heritage. But then we have Rhonda, or actually her real name is Rhoda, 
but I like to call it Rhonda because I like to see some uh, some Aussie chicks in the Bible. But uh, her name's Rhoda, and now Rhoda's actually a Gentile name, and Rhoda is a servant. And so here we have someone who doesn't have a long history in the Word of God. She's a Gentile, and she's poor. She's been sold as a slave. And then we also see in the story, there's a whole crowd of other unnamed people. And I love that God is no respecter of persons when it comes to prayer. He, he listens to the wealthy and those who have been believers for a long time. He, he listens to the poor and those who have just come to faith in recent times. And he listens to, to those who stand on stages and, and lead the church in prayer And he also listens to those who sometimes feel a little insignificant and wonder whether their voice really matters. You see, God is calling us to be a a people that pray earnestly, that pray endlessly, that pray expectantly, and also pray in unity. There's a power that gets poured out from heaven when when God's people, the church of all different ages and all different backgrounds and all different places in society, you know, come together and agree together in unity before God for God to move in power. Scripture says that there is a blessing that gets poured out when his people come together in unity. Matthew 18, it says, When two or three of you gather together in my name, there I am in the midst. When you agree together in prayer, my Father will give you what you ask for. That's why we're encouraging churches all over our state in these 21 days to pray together in unity. There's a blessing that gets poured out. There's power that moves from heaven to earth as his people agree together in unity in prayer. And so we're going to pray together for revival for 21 days. And I believe we're going to see power flow from heaven. I hope you're already hearing some stories of God breaking through in people's lives with his love and power. And I really want to encourage all of our Queensland Baptist churches to join together in our regional prayer meetings and our big Zoom prayer meeting we're having at the end of June to, to pray together in unity to see revival in this state that God loves so much. We're to pray earnestly, endlessly in unity And we're to pray expectantly. You know, these guys in this story are praying, but they're actually not expecting anything good to happen. And we don't really know exactly why or exactly what happened, but I almost guarantee that they were also praying for James when he was in prison. And their prayer didn't get answered the way that they asked. And some of us have got a James kind of unanswered prayer in our lives. And some of our prayers have begun to be filled with doubt rather than expectation that the sovereign God can still work all things together for good as we pray. And see, here Herod is the most powerful man in the region. He's up against this little insignificant group called the church who pray. And they pray because that's all they've got. It's the only power that they have. And here we see God moves sovereignly I don't understand why he doesn't move in the same way for James 
But what we do see here without a shadow of a doubt is that King Herod, the most powerful man in this part of the world, is no match for the King of Kings. See, his kingdom, the kingdom of God, is established in our hearts as we pray and as we surrender to his will. And as we're praying for 21 days for revival in Queensland, as I said last week, revival begins with repentance from sin and surrender to King Jesus. Revival starts with us on our knees declaring our complete dependence on God in prayer. Revival starts in the church as ordinary people are fully surrendered to Jesus the King. And we're filled with his power to share his good news with a world that desperately needs us, needs that good news. I want to remind us as we finish today that we've got a good King Jesus is a good king. He humbled himself to death on a cross to break every chain of sin and death, to set us free. Romans 14 says the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of rules. It's not a kingdom of eating and drinking and all sorts of rules that we've got to follow, but it's a kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy. You see, when we surrender to King Jesus... We're made right with God. We know peace with God in every situation, just like Peter did in this situation. And he fills our hearts with joy. But you see, our hearts are like a castle with many rooms. And maybe there's some rooms in your heart today that God's been convicting you of and challenging you about that you need to surrender to the King. I just want to encourage you today, surrender your heart. To King Jesus, he's a good king. He laid down his life for you. But he's also a powerful and a victorious king. You see, Jesus didn't stay dead on the third day. He rose from the dead and he's alive today. He's seated at the right hand of God. He has victory over sin and death. And he fills us with power when we surrender to him. Let me just read the last couple of verses of this story, Acts chapter 12. It says, On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They all shouted, This is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms, and he died. This story is actually recorded in our history books. Not all the history books you know, record that an angel was involved, but they all recalled that the, the King Herod, as he's being praised uh, by the people, actually died very suddenly. And here we have a king who had some power for a short time. He died. He was eaten by worms. He tried to use his power to restrict the spread of the gospel and the growth of the church, but he didn't succeed. You see, his power could not match the power of prayer. As the church interceded in prayer, his power could not match the power of prayer. Let's just read this last verse. It says, The word of God continued to spread and to flourish. You see, Herod tried to stop the spread of the word of God. He tried to stop the church from flourishing. But as the church prayed earnestly, as the church prayed endlessly, as the church prayed in unity, as the church prayed, actually they didn't pray expectantly, but I'm going to encourage you to pray expectantly. 
God moved in power and the word of God spread and the church flourished. You see, Jesus is a good king. Jesus is a powerful king. And Jesus is an eternal king. He's risen from the dead and he's seated on his throne. And there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But one day it will be too late for some. And that's why we've got to pray. That's why we've got to pray for 21 days. Pray for revival in our state. That's why we've got to pray earnestly. We've got to pray endlessly. We've got to pray in unity and we've got to pray expectantly because too many people all around us are heading to a Christless eternity. We're praying today that the word of God will keep spreading in our day and the church will keep growing, keep flourishing in Queensland. And it begins with his church surrendering to his will and interceding for those in need. I want to pray and ask that the Holy Spirit might actually show you today some areas that you need to surrender to his will. And I'm going to pray that God will put a fire and a passion in us to pray earnestly, endlessly, expectantly in unity for the lost in our region to get saved. Would you pray with me today? Father God, thank you. Jesus, we just declare today that you are a good king. You are a powerful king. You are an eternal king. You are the king of all kings. And I thank you that because of your death and resurrection, we can pray and our prayers are heard in heaven. And God, today I pray right across our state, churches all over Queensland, that you would show us areas of our lives that we need to surrender to you, King Jesus. God, would you give us courage today? God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you help us to surrender our whole lives to you? And God, I pray. Would you put a a fire and a passion in our hearts that we would be a people who pray earnestly, a people who intercede, and we pray endlessly. We pray in unity together, and, and we pray expectantly for you to move in power. And God, we pray today right across Queensland that that you would fill your people with the power of your Holy Spirit to share the good news of Jesus with those who are heading to a crisis eternity. And we pray that you'd be moving in people's hearts to receive your good news, that they too would come to repentance and surrender to your will and know salvation in your name. I pray in your mighty name, the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Keep praying.